one of the things we realized with these um, uh, mayor's open office hours at coffee shops was let's take it out of here. It doesn't need to be open office hours, meaning citizens have to come up here and sit in this office. Let's go places that are visible. Let's show people um, that we're doing this. Let's also um, bring people into small businesses around town, um, which I think is something that should happen more and more often. Um, and, and this builds on a tradition that we've started even before the mayor's open office hours, which is just taking city services out of our, um, our uh, comfort zone in communication and recognizing that there are people that aren't going to receive the messages that we have if we stick to those. Hello and welcome to episode five of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a speaker and lead trainer with the Pinot Training Group, where we work with teams and organizations looking to create powerful, positive, peak performance team cultures. Once again, a quick note before we begin, this podcast is a production of the Pinot Training Group, and on April 29th and 30th in Ryan's hometown of Brighton, Michigan, we will be hosting our next Heart of a Leader Open Enrollment Training. Heart of a Leader is a powerful personal and professional development growth experience. It is our premier and premium offering for individuals, and I believe it is a personal growth training unlike any other. If you are interested in learning more about Heart of a Leader or any of the trainings, workshops, and keynotes we offer, please head on over to PinotTrainingGroup.com, P-E-N-N-E-A-U, TrainingGroup.com, or connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Bobby Audley. I am very excited to introduce you to my guest today, a good friend of mine and a leader I look up to, the mayor of Salisbury, Maryland, Jake Day. I am a very proud graduate of Salisbury University on the eastern shore of my home state of Maryland, and after college, my wife and I lived in Salisbury for a few short years. In that time, we both came to appreciate and love the uniqueness of that wonderful small city just 40 minutes west of Ocean City, Maryland, and two hours southeast of Baltimore across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Of course, those times are without summer beach traffic. I sit down with Jake Day for this podcast because he is a leader who truly values connection. And as you will find out in this interview, Jake is intensely intentional about connecting with his employees and the 35,000 citizens he serves on a daily basis as mayor of Salisbury. On top of that, as a captain in the U.S. Army National Guard, Jake knows a thing or two about leadership. Jake earned a master's degree in urban design from Carnegie Mellon University and then went on to earn another master's degree in environmental policy from Oxford University, where he graduated with distinction for his dissertation. I will let you know, I start this episode 30 minutes into my conversation with Mayor Day. For 45 minutes, Jake and I sat in his office in City Hall and talked about his journey to where he is now, starting from being a young boy sitting in a duck blind with his dad, as he describes it, on the Eastern Shore, envisioning what Salisbury could be. We talked about his time at Oxford, which I was super interested in. We talked about his dissertation on the American lawn and its effect on the environment and how he ended up back in Salisbury running for city council at age 30 and, of course, now being the mayor of the town he grew up in. 
I start this episode 30 minutes in so that you can dive right into Jake's lessons about leadership and connection. In this episode, Jake talks about the importance of keeping your cool under pressure, how he creates a culture of excellence and high standards where his employees are expected to find their own solutions to problems and at the same time, they know that they can always go to him with a challenge. And he talks about that, that nuance and that balance and how he creates that culture. We talk about his cup of coffee with the mayor program and how social media allows Jake to connect on a deeper level with a large amount of people. He and I both value face-to-face. We talk about that. And he gets into how social media has taken his connection to the next level. For this reason, I cut the bio portion to just about the first 15 minutes of this episode. If you would like to hear the full unedited episode, let me know. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And if there is enough interest, I will release it midweek, perhaps as a bonus episode. The last episode with Coach Tom Eller of the Baltimore Orioles saw the best engagement in the first few days of any episode yet. This is a testament to you for listening and sharing the show. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and review and subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Your listening, your engagement, your subscribing, your ratings and reviews, all of it means more to us than you know. For now, please enjoy learning from this brilliant leader by listening into my cup of coffee with Mayor Jake Day. So you leave Oxford with environmental policy, yes. urban design from Carnegie Mellon, yes. architecture from Maryland. Uh, where do you where do you take that? What do you what do you do immediately when you get when you get home? I, I moved back to Salisbury. Um, I moved here in August two thousand eight, uh, having been away essentially eight years um, from undergrad, grad, and my time in D.C. And what'd you do in DC? How long were you there? So that's when I was in yeah. uh, working for the American Institute of Architecture students okay. for a year. Okay. Headquarters is in DC. Jeez, um, what a job for oh, a year. That's I, incredible. Right next to, uh, so it's at New York and uh, 17th. So it's right next to the Western entrance to the White House. Um, so you'd, you'd go grab a cup of coffee and watch the motorcade leave. And, yeah. uh, you know, this is uh, the Bush years. Um, you know, it was uh, shortly after 9 11, a couple years after 9 11, the invasion of Iraq. So it was an interesting time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, it was weird to be, it, it was, it was weird and it was interesting, but it was, um, I think one of those experiences that, um, any young person interested in public service, um, sort of hopes to have in their life, you know, just, just being close proximity to people, uh, who are making the tough decisions mm-hmm. just to, just to watch, uh, you know, the president's motorcade leave, um, regularly and Mm -hmm. and then to walk home to my you know little 440 square foot studio apartment dupont circle you know i'm not making those tough decisions but just to just to be close to it you have that energy power yeah and i thought that was um a great experience another reason why i was blessed to have that experience so so i moved back to salisbury in august 2008 and had to finish my dissertation at ox for oxford um i was writing it about 
the Delmarva Peninsula. Um, so um, I wrote my dissertation on the um, the spatial networks uh, that were associated with the American lawn and specifically the substance of grass clippings. Um, and so how logistical networks um, were organized in relation to the American lawn and and there's a couple underlying things here. One, that the American lawn is kind of bleeding us of, of resources and in America um, is important from a social fabric um, standpoint. It has it, it, As a spatial typology, it's got significant social importance, but environmentally, um, you know, the, the consequences of it are significant from stormwater to pesticides to, um, you know, single stroke uh, engines uh, and the, the emissions from those yeah. engines. Because that's yeah. what you mean by the American lawn characteristically yeah. is the green. That little green carpet. Beautiful carpet. Rolled out in front of our front pretty of your suburban house. house. You really... Don't do anything with in the front mm-hmm. in the front yard at in least yard. for the most part yeah and, it's, and it's that aesthetic and and what's amazing is just how our commitment to that pushes our built environment further and further apart and as we do that it it bleeds us of money mm-hmm. and so as a society every inch that we do that we are extending asphalt and concrete and pipes, uh, you know, stormwater, water and sewer pipes, and it's costing us more and more and more and more and more revenue that we will never get back. Mm-hmm. And so we have a an unsustainable and isn't it a part suburban of, building. I don't know. Maybe model. correct me if I'm wrong about this in terms of like where we are here. Obviously, the Chesapeake Bay is a big part of our, our region and, and culture and environment and economy. Um, and I've always heard pollution stems from certainly farming, but also the the lawn uh, as far north as, as Pennsylvania and New York, uh, of the stormwater runoff. Absolutely. The, yeah. the major sources of runoff that we have are, are the major sources of nutrients, nutrients being a bad thing into the Chesapeake Bay. And the reason why they're a bad thing is when they're in overabundance, which they are here. And we're mainly talking about nitrogen and phosphorus, two things that are necessary for growth of plant life, two things that are in fertilizer. Um, so Yes, uh, we yes we see those fertilizers run off of agricultural fields, um, but uh, we also see them come out of wastewater treatment plants uh, because they come out of uh, our bodies uh, mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. uh, process um, <laughs> and what goes to wastewater treatment plants and thus septic systems. And then the big one though is stormwater. You know what runs when the rain comes out of the sky and it hits the ground. It takes with it everything that you know the plants haven't sucked up, and it washes that right into our uh, excuse me our uh, stormwater systems. Some of which are still combined to sewer systems. In Salisbury, we have a totally separated uh, system, but it still goes ultimately out to our river. So you have a, a stormwater system that carries all that stuff out to our river. So whatever you apply, and usually we apply in overabundance because we want that lush green lawn. Mm-hmm. It all gets washed into the Chesapeake Bay yeah. and kills plant life and kills uh, fish life. It kills um, crabs and, and oysters and clams. So that's, so that's fat. so your dissertation was focused on, and obviously brought in that, but focused on the lawn. That's right. So do you have a, do you have a doctorate? Or I you, do not. That's okay. just what they call the, the they call the uh, master's thesis, the dissertation. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have a doctorate. Okay. And I don't that's think okay. my You're wife would ever allow educated. me to yeah. go back to school. Um, <laughs> I don't think you need uh, to. Yeah. So... Um, so, so moving back here, uh, then the question that, you know, then there's this existential question of, oh, uh, I have a master's degree from Oxford. What do I do with myself now? That's what this whole story was leading <laughs> to. <laughs> right, right. I want to get to I that moment of your life. What do I do with myself yeah. now? Yeah. And, um, 
And you look at your peers and you think, well, I can't stack up because you know they're they, you know they're working at um, they're working at um, you know some finance uh, institution in London or they've gone to Brussels and they're working at the UN. Uh, um, they're in Geneva. Um, they're they're in um, you know uh, Zimbabwe. Um, you know digging wells. Like they, they're doing something amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all doing something amazing. Uh, for me, it was this question of. Am I going to go to New York or Washington and work for some big organization? So I started applying for those. Or am I going to find something in my backyard where my heart is? And so I started applying on the Eastern Shore, too. And I I found two jobs um, that uh, were on parallel timelines, um, one at the World Bank in D.C., um, a, a junior associate at the World Bank, um, and one that was uh, – doing consulting for uh, the Eastern Shore Land Conservancy on House Bill 1141, which was a state law that was passed that required the municipalities of Maryland to plan their growth. And um, I, I went to that interview and was like, I've got to work there. I've mm-hmm. got to do this work. This is this is kind of what I've been waiting for my whole life. Yeah. And so ESLC, Eastern Shore Land Conservancy, hired me. And um, I went and visited the 41 municipalities in the uh, seven county, the, excuse me, the six county region uh, that they operate within from Cecil County down to Dorchester County on the Eastern Shore. And was just fascinated by sitting in rooms with town managers and town clerks and mayors and council members and commissioners um, and having these conversations about their hopes and dreams for their community and the help that they needed from organizations like ours. Um, and a couple of things happened over the course of those few years. You know, I went on to build um, an organization, a subsidiary nonprofit of theirs called the Center for Towns. Um, I ultimately, through my work, said, you know, we need to be in these towns doing three things. Advocacy work, which we were already doing and we were really good at. Um, education, which we were already doing and really good at. And then community design. And that community design I, I proposed and we ultimately adopted should be university-based. So we're going to bring in great design schools. We're going to bring in the architecture programs, the landscape architecture programs, the urban planning programs from these schools from around the region. So from uh, Philadelphia Metro to Baltimore to Washington to Norfolk, and we're going to bring them into Salisbury, excuse me, into the Eastern Shore. And they're going to help us with public process where we're going to engage the community in design. And these students are going to be these, um, you know, fresh eyed, uh, free, uh, largely free, um, young, bright designers who are going to help uh, draw out the the ideas that these people have for their community. When in the past nobody's asked them, uh, one because that wasn't how it worked. You know, a developer would show up and say, "Let's build this," and then the community would just say, "Sure, we have no idea what we want," so they just sprawl. And we wanted to get them to do something better. Or um, they'd say, well, we can't afford that work. That's got to be expensive. So, so we brought in a, a, a different model. Um, but, but the thing that fascinated me, going back to those little town halls and those conversations was, um, you know, these were people who had never been given the opportunity to articulate the future that they wanted for their towns. And they were sitting in a room telling a fellow Eastern shoreman that they needed help. And so... I was able to build trust because I was of this same community. But there was this one other thing that kept happening. They would inevitably ask me, because you know we'd talk about where you're from, things like that. They'd inevitably ask me where you're from, and I'd say Salisbury. And I'd get the same response almost every single time. Oh, I'm sorry. Really? Yes. 
Uh, Why? Well, it's because we had this reputation as a place um, that was dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. Every day I'd drive home from Easton or Cambridge or these other places in Maryland, Chestertown, drive home to Salisbury, and you'd pick up the newspaper and it'd be bickering. It'd be politicians fighting with one another. It'd be increasing crime it'd be you know job loss it'd be you know these things were just constant and mm-hmm. and the and the most constant of them was elected officials fighting with one another mm-hmm. and i was embarrassed by it and so quickly i realized well i've got to change that i've got to go get involved and now when it came to actually making the decision to get involved 2009 election came yeah, I shied away. Yeah, you know, pe- people did talk to me about. It. I shied away from it. Two thousand, and that was for that council at the time. That was for council. Yeah, yeah. two thousand eleven election came. I shied away. Okay, I, you know, I was, I was nervous. This is, yeah. a, it's a tough thing to put yourself out there. Well, you were, yeah. I mean, how old were you at this time? Twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven. Which is still, yeah. I don't care where you are. I was young in, in the country. I was young, young for yeah. running for public office. That's right. Yes, yeah. and um, yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. I was young, and it was, it was just scary the idea of putting yourself out there like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um and so it was not until i turned uh, 30 um that i decided to officially run and that was on the heels of another life-changing experience um you know in the midst of all of this uh, i sat down for a cup of coffee with my boss amy owsley at eslc um in 2009 early 2009 and i said amy um, there's another thing that when I moved back to the U.S., I knew I was going to do. And, um, you know, I got this job here and I love it and I don't want to leave it. And I, fu- and I was fully prepared for her to fire me on the spot. Um, and I said, but I, I need to join the Army. I'm going to join the Army. And to my shock, her response was, oh, my gosh, that'll be great for us. That'll be great for you. You'll get such great training and leadership. Why do you think she's going to fire you? Because of the time commitment? Yeah, because yeah. you know, I would leave. You know, yeah. I'd be gone. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, yeah. was going to go to Fort Benning for basic training for three months and then yeah. you know, AIT or officer candidate school, and uh, then I'd get you know, uh, deployed and I'd yeah. go away for schools all the time. What was the desire to join the Army? I goes back to when I was a little kid. The other thing I used to do around the Eastern Shore was crawl around in camo and play, you know, play yeah. army. And so you're just a little kid living out his dreams. That's, yes. that's, that's all you are. Yes. <laughs> I don't mean all you are in a yes. demeaning way. Yeah. Uh, no, you're 100% right. You're, you're 100% right. Yeah. Um, but I, I always had a desire to serve. I remember when I was 17, um, my mom hanging up on the recruiters when they'd call the house, uh, tearing up the letters that they'd said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, my parents were pretty adamant that I needed to go to college. And, you know, I'm glad I did. I don't regret right. that. But at 27, I decided to join the army and I found myself in what was the most interesting social experiment of my life. Um, you know, the Benning School for Boys, uh, you know, uh, 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 an all, you know, all male, the last all male um, training environment in the military at the time, um, you know, one of the last at the time. And I think even that's integrated now, uh, um, as it should be. Um, but, uh, you know, it was this weird experiment of you and, you know, 60 other guys uh, living together for three months. And you're 27, and they're 17, 18. And um, so my nickname was Grandpa. Uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, for for much of in-processing in the early days of BASIC, uh, uh, they referenced me as Grandpa at 20, yeah. at. Well, and you're and you're still 27 years you're old. still in it. You're, still a, in you're, it. A, you're a captain. 
11 years in, I'm a captain. I'm looking back at my notes for this to make sure I get this right. Captain U.S. Army National Guard. And is it TAC officer or TAC? I I was a TAC officer. I'm now a – so I'm a a cavalryman by training. I'm an armor officer and a cavalry officer. A maneuver officer now, I can – you know, I could command infantry, armor, or cavalry units. Um, But uh, then I I, – uh, I was in a CAV unit for a while, light reconnaissance unit. We did um, uh, mostly light dismounted and some light mounted reconnaissance um, and uh, did that for, I don't know, four years. Um, then went to the officer candidate school mm-hmm. um, and worked there for four years as the senior TAC officer, uh, which is the officer responsible for training. Um, so uh, to give you a sense, it's uh, – that's a brutal experience um, for the kids to go through that, and I call them kids. They they feel like your children, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's a it's a very uh, hard physical um, and emotional and mental um, process for them. It's uh, uh, fifteen months long, um, and it's a, a one uh, two week period on the front end. Um, <laughs> 14 months, thir- 13 months um, in between, and then one two-week period on the back end. Um, and it's just constant homework and, um, you know, constant work and then a lot of physical um, challenges uh, when they come and see us on the weekend. So that's the yeah. uh, that's the reserve version of OCS. So I did that for four years. Now I'm at uh, an information operations unit. So I'm an information operations officer, which means we integrate information-related capabilities like electronic warfare, psychological operations, civil affairs, um, public affairs, um, uh, um, uh, all sorts of things like cyber warfare, uh, things that uh, can help a commander influence the fight the way that they need to uh, with um, targeted efforts related to information. Mm -hmm. So let's do this because this has been, I wanted to do this whole kind of intro of who you are because I said your story to me is fascinating and and it, it lends itself to uh, so you do end up running for city council become mm-hmm. president of city council uh, now are, are the mayor of Salisbury still uh, a captain in the Army National Guard and so you know I could have started the interview by just simply saying talk to me about leadership and what that means <laughs> to you and your philosophy and 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 I think even just looking at your resume on paper, listeners might think, you know, I've never heard of this guy. Why, why should I listen to him when it comes to leadership? I think you've made your case. And so in a great way, this is what I wanted. And so now I'd love to know, like, when you look at, you know, you talked about um, politicians not getting along, fighting with each other. Then yeah. uh, you, you certainly have the experience of a- education, what you're looking to bring to this city, but also just as a leader of a city, of a leader of a community, uh, um, what are you, leader of, of this office space that we're in That's here right. now. Uh, what are your... What's your approach? What's your philosophies? What are your um, thoughts around this? So as a guy who uh, – go, you go back to my time at OCS. As a guy that had to um, – uh, we couldn't shoot at the candidates. We could not shoot at them. Um, but we were looking to select uh, combat leaders, people that were going to be responsible for other people's children in war. Um, and you need to induce significant emotional stress – in someone and then test their decision-making skills and their ability to make decisions quickly in that environment. And so one of the ways that we do that is by layering physical stress, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of PT and, you know, crawling around and, you know, stressful things like uh, uh, ruck marches and holding weight over your head and, you know, all those things while being yelled at, um, while being told and expected to do things on a timeline. And frankly, being given more tasks than you can possibly complete on that timeline. 
um, not all of them complicated, but all of them stressful enough uh, where you are um, you are sort of in the uh, targets uh, of multiple uh, uh, gunners, and uh, they have you in their sights, and you got to make a decision fast, uh, or else other people are going to suffer, um, and you're going to watch them suffer. In some cases, you're going to stand there while they do push-ups endlessly, and that's a pretty stinky feeling, especially when you know you're going to have to go face your friends later, uh, and your decisions are going to be remembered, yeah. um, or your inability to make a decision are going to be remembered. So, as a guy who had to deliver that emotional stress. Um, one of the things that I believe firmly in as a leader is um, that I don't lose my cool. I'm calm. I take bad news well. Um, I'm on your side when you've got bad news and a problem that you need figured out. Now, I really want people to come to me with solutions. You know, in my team, you know, don't, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. But when you bring me a problem that you couldn't solve, I'm here to help you solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things my dad always taught me is that um, bad, news, bad news doesn't get better with age. Um, so the second you know something that you can't handle, let me know about it. Uh, that's important on my team. Uh, let me know about it so that I can help you navigate it because um, we're going to be stronger together. You know? And that doesn't mean I possess any magical powers to, to solve the problem. It just means that you know, together we'll unite and we're, two is greater than one. Right. Um, so I think that's an important thing. Um, I, I also believe that, um, you know, ensuring that you have a sense of a good sense of of what people are really thinking is is critical. So I am always listening. Um, sometimes the news is is hard to take, but I'm always listening. Um, and that's more external than it is internal because you you hinted at this. I am both in. I am both in a managerial position. I run a team of 435 city employees, but I'm in a, um, a leadership position where I do not have command authority over my 35,000 citizens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, I work for them. They don't work for me. Right. But they still look to me as their leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that, that is clear. I know that. You know, I'm in a position where um, you know, with, I was just reelected with 86% of the vote. And I don't say that, awesome. thank yeah. you. I don't say that to brag, but I say that to point out, I know that my citizens look to me as their leader. In a small town, that means you're doing doing something right. I think we're doing it's all not, right. It's not partisan. It's That's not party right. line. It is, is this individual serving our community or not? That's right. As a city with 55% registered Democrats, 35% uh, registered Republicans, and then some remainder of whatever. Um, no, you, that is not about partisanship. That is unity of purpose. That is a community that sees a direction and and says, we're going that way. Um, it doesn't mean they like everything I do, believe me. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with traffic jams all over the city because yeah. of construction yeah. right now. You we'll better get, believe we'll get they're to mad your at Facebook me. Facebook style. I'm curious what that is. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, we, I do want to get to that. Yeah, let's get to that. Um, but on leadership, you know, uh, I, I definitely style myself as a... Um, uh, and let me explain this as a, a visionary servant leader. You know, I, I do, uh, you know, I do ascribe to the or subscribe to the leaders eat last philosophy mm-hmm. that you know, I'm going to put my people first. I'm going to take care of them. Morale is important. I'm going to ensure they have what they need. I'm also going to have incredibly high expectations of them. Um, and uh, sometimes those expectations get misunderstood. You know, as I've learned um, and I have learned in, in jobs like this, uh, you know, 
sometimes I've got employees that are so scared to fail me that they absorb stress. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's understandable, but, uh, I try to convey over and over, um, if we reach, and this is not, this is going to sound cliche, but if we reach as high as we can, um, I am confident that whatever level we get to is going to be better than what it would have been if we had reached a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. So let's keep reaching and I'm not going to beat you up if we don't get right there. And I think that's the, the, the nuance that you're getting to is the sense of having high standards, high expectations, wanting creating an environment where your employees create their own solutions. Mm -hmm. They don't just come to you with problems. And, in that same context, and I know I'm paraphrasing what you said, but I want to make this point. In that same context, if they have a problem that they cannot solve on their own, they're willing to come to you because part of that is keeping your cool, mm-hmm. uh, and and part of that is just the sense of you are willing to work with them to get where you need to go. Mm-hmm. But you're balancing that. You've got 435 employees. You don't. You you can't afford to have all of them coming to you every time they have a question. <laughs> no. And, and I do, you know, we have an open office policy in place um, and people avail themselves of it. But uh, the chain of command is very important to me in that if, if it's a question about your job and it, it's, you know, seeking clarity on a project, let's utilize the chain of command and your department head on the rhythm that I already have with them is going to figure it out and mm-hmm. get you answers. Um, if you've got a problem with your department head or if there's an ethical issue or something like that, then by all means, means you know and end up in my office and you know come here um if there's a, a career issue and you're concerned about fairness or you know absolutely you know avail yourself of the uh, uh, open door policy but but i really believe in our uh, chain of command and that's why you know going back to the word visionary and i'll explain in a minute how that applies but that's why we redesigned government um, so we reorganized the entire city, city government in 2017, 77 different teams, totally restructured, uh, came up with city departments that don't exist in any other city in America, uh, field operations. You restructured 77 we, teams? We did. Okay. We, so there, you know, if you break it down to sort of fundamental responsibilities, um, you know, we have a couple of responsibilities, you know, law enforcement, regulation, permitting, services, you know, some basic things uh, that we provide to um, the public. Um, and uh, we broke everything down into those fundamental teams, fundamental services. What do we want to accomplish? What are we trying to provide? And, and are we organized in a way that reflects that? And the answer was absolutely not. Now, our values, our objectives, totally disconnected from the way we were organized. We had this legacy city government structure that had existed from the 1930s. You know, this massive public works department that um, was 60% of our city budget and yet did essentially everything. Everything that a city does other than police and fire, they did. And it none of it made sense. So there were lateral services that were missing, things that other departments and other teams needed that they weren't providing because, hey, no, that's our asset. You know, that's, that's, that's our GIS team, you know, so we're not providing mapping and data services to anybody else. Why would we, Mm -hmm. uh, engineering and design, we have all the engineers, we have all the architects, all the designers. Uh, Well, we've got a fire station we've got to build, but we're not helping them. That's not our department. You know, none of that made sense. So we broke that down and rebuilt it. And, um, I'm really proud of what we rebuilt, um, you know, with city administrator, deputy city administrators, department heads, and, 
everything now aligns to to a system that we created when I came in called Result SBY. And Result SBY is our um, it, it's our metrics system. So it's our city stat, our way of determining are we effective. I attended several staff meetings of my predecessor before I came into office. And what I saw was um, there was a, a dynamic of fear. Um, people didn't want to get yelled at. And um, each department head, when called upon, essentially talked about what they were doing that mm-hmm. week. So it was a recap of what they were working on, which sounds reasonable. However, a mayor gets a few hours a week with their department heads, with their team. And if that's how you're using your time, it's completely ineffective. What I saw was a need for, um, yeah, yes, there's going to be coordination needed, right? You're gonna have projects you need help on. You're gonna need, you're gonna need to talk to each other, department heads. But there was this bigger question of, are we making progress as a city mm-hmm. that nobody was speaking to? And so we created this system where in our budgets, so the adopted budget, meaning it goes through the legislative process and the city council adopts it, um, we began in every department to have metrics that, so, or goals um, you know, associated with metrics. So, so each goal was, you know, we are going to pave X miles of street this year. Um, and we are going to uh, you know, fill this many potholes this year and um, inspect this many l- miles of sewer pipe um, and provide services to this many homeless people. And you know, these are the metrics. We're going to cut robberies by 10% this year. These sorts of metrics. Um, and then on a weekly basis, my staff presents a slide deck to me where they show progress on toward those metrics. And then we also have a section of our staff meeting where they speak to those coordination issues. But the bigger hierarching goals, um, you know, boil down to the, the four to six most important goals in, for each of those department heads. That's what they convey to me during those meetings. Mm-hmm. And it just changes the and it's 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 not a perfect system, but it changes the way that we feel about our time together because mm-hmm. we're standing there talking about you know the health of our city and really truly talking about what's important. And some things change you know rapidly, and some things don't. Um, but you can at least get a sense of are we on course or are we not? Yeah. And then have the conversation. Oh, we're not on course. Why? Are you failing? Or have I failed to resource you? Mm-hmm. You know, I say this is a priority, but have I, but I, have I failed to give you the resources to achieve that priority? Maybe so. Well, that's what you said. It's not a perfect system, but it is a system, and that is that is that was to to the point of me paraphrasing to ask a question to say, great, this is what people aim to do in, in leadership, no matter where you are. Well, how do you do it? And Bobby, it goes back to. It goes back to that officer candidate standing in front of a formation, getting screamed at by three TAC officers on all sides. You know, why aren't we moving? Why aren't we moving? Why aren't we moving? Failure to make a decision, failure to implement a system, failure to to say this is a direction and and let's go, mm-hmm. um, I think is the worst crime a, uh, a leader can commit, mm-hmm. you know, that inability to make decisions. I, I think I'm paid purely to make decisions. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what, that's what they pay me the little bucks for. Um, you know, I'm, I'm up here to make decisions, <laughs> uh, you know, not necessarily to, to go out there and, and do the paving to, you know, render the emergency medical services, but I, I'm here to help make decisions. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, I think in this job and in any leadership job, um, you owe it to your people to be effective and uh, expedient in that process. Yeah, and in making decisions, you know, uh, you talked about how ensuring that your 
your employees have the resources they need and, and you have their yes. they have your ear and and they can they can ask you any question they want they can come to you with their challenges you name it you do the same thing with your with your citizens uh you have your is it weekly or bi-weekly coffee with the mayor every, every other week every other week yep. uh, beyond that um we just let's let's start there um especially because the the you know 50 cups of coffee podcast right i think it's extremely relevant um what what is that bi-weekly coffee with the mayor yeah. i see it on social media uh it's you at a coffee shop people can just come in and oh, talk so what we realized was the mayor's office is this sort of um distant foreign thing to most people um you know where they don't know what goes on really and what we realized also is that uh, effective management of um, limited time is is an important part of a functioning leader or executives um, challenge right you, you have to figure out how to use this limited resource called time um, and it's something i'm not uh, naturally good at right um, i will lose myself in learning I will read and, you know, uh, uh, get caught in email and, you know, do the things that any of us naturally does, uh, you know, dive into a project and maybe I needed to finish 10 things in the time that I spent on that project. So having, again, systems and structures and people that will hold you accountable around you is part of success. Um, so what we said was instead of saying yes to every meeting somebody wanted, because another thing we realized is that every meeting uh, is at least an hour. Um, so I set up a, a memo. I, I wrote a memo before I came into office as mayor, um, and I gave it to our mayor's office manager, Donna. And uh, one of the things on there was no meeting shall ever last more than half an hour. Mm -hmm. um, and it was this great rule. I mean, just, you know, when I think back to like the brilliance of putting pen to paper, that was just that was like a perfect rule in that. Um, it, it's, it's the right amount of time to hold people to. Um, and it's also entirely unimplementable. You can't do it. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's great it's, philosophy. Yeah, great, great drawing, yeah. great drawing architect. We yeah. can't build that building. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it will crumble under that's, its own weight. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, that's also to speak to sort of the weakness of the visionary. Right. Yeah. Um, so great idea, uh, just doesn't work. Um, you know, when you've got somebody who has your ear, they want it uh, they want to feel heard. Um, sometimes that's going to take a long time, um, and you want to you want to, you owe that to them. They're either a, they're a citizen, they're a voter, they're they're a, an important developer in town, they're a business owner, they're um, there's somebody who uh, they're a legislator, right? They're they're important, and they deserve whatever their issue is. They deserve to be heard, mm -hmm. and so to be rushed is not fair. Well, so, and it's and for them, for you, it's another meeting with with an with an individual. Not that you don't care about it, but it's another meeting for them. This might be the only time they get to sit down with you or any mayor right? of this city and share whatever idea they have, whatever grievance they have, whatever thought they have. Sure, this is it. And this, so, absolutely, you don't want to. It's that dynamic of you're giving the time, and then to rush the time mm -hmm. would create a sense of why'd you bother giving it. That's right. It wasn't important to you. Yes. You were mayor. doing it because this looks good on mm -hmm. social media mm -hmm. instead so, of you genuinely want to talk. And, and, and so to that end, this may be the 10th meeting on this subject that they've had to that they've had to ask for mm -hmm. before finally getting to somebody that they think can help them. Mm -hmm. And and then you're not interested in helping them. Right. That's got to be an awful feeling. Right. Um, and so people deserve better than that. So. Our system didn't work. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we realized is that a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings that I get asked for are people that sure simply want to state their idea in a, they need to get it out of their head and, and publicly state their idea 
and hopefully somebody will either latch onto it, give them resources, help them, you know, guide them something. Um, it doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with the mayor, uh, but people don't realize that. People don't necessarily know what a mayor does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a lot of my meetings are people that like I, I got to meet with the mayor about what uh, you know this. Um, uh, ski, you know this skate park project that I want to build um, in my neighborhood. O- okay, you know w- where do you live? Just outside of the city. Well, okay, <laughs> uh, uh, the mayor can't help you with that, but you know, but yeah, come talk to me about it. Come you can talk point him in the right direction. I, absolutely. I mean, course. that's how. Um, from my experience, maybe there were meetings that that you had behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of, but um, from my understanding, that's how TEDx came about in the city of Salisbury was that's when you and I first sat down I'd met you prior to that but Mm -hmm. uh, we sat down for coffee Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about TEDx happening and even that I remember I had talked to Julia about it Mm -hmm. Julia Glanz and she said you should meet with Jake and I said I go what's the mayor got to do with with TEDx (laughs) And, and she said just meet with him and sure enough you were able to to you know, make the right connections, make the right introductions, point like know the resources. And I think that going back to that visionary side of things, um, decision making side of things, yeah. it's, it's, it, it goes somewhere. It gets the ball rolling instead of just talking to a bunch of people who say, yeah, it's a great idea. Or, yeah, I agree with you. And then nothing happens. And people love to talk yeah. and not do. Because yeah, sure. doing is harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I end up in a lot of meetings where people just want to talk. And then, yeah. uh, But there's got to be that action afterward. And that one of the things that I, I think I can easily visualize um, is what steps do we need to take for this not to have just been a meeting? Mm. How, how, do we, how do we turn the talking into doing? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I can usually visualize that toward the end of a meeting and or when I want a meeting to end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But, but one of the things we realized with these um, – uh, mayor's open office hours at coffee shops was let's take it out of here. It doesn't need to be open office hours, meaning citizens have to come up here and sit in this office. Let's go places that are visible. Let's show people um, that we're doing this. Let's also um, bring people into small businesses around town, um, which I think is something that should happen more and more often. Um, and and this builds on a tradition that we've started even before the mayor's open office hours, which is just taking city services out of our, um, our uh, comfort zone in communication and recognizing that there are people that aren't going to receive the messages that we have if we stick to those. So we're on faith. We didn't even have four and a half years ago. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Snapchat. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a decent website. You guys are snapping. We're snapping. I think right. we've even got like, um, you know, uh, a snap story that goes up periodically. That's awesome. so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so all those things are, are happening now. And we, we are every week in the hundreds of thousands of touches um, in social media. Uh, and we've got a great website now, um, Salisbury.md, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know a whole lot better than what we had before. Uh, it's user friendly. Um, it could be better, of course. You realize once you start these projects that you can always improve on them. But we're there. But there's so many people that we're still not reaching. So we started something called Neighborhood Walks, where I take city staff, we go to a neighborhood, we flyer it. Um, the day or two before and let people know that we're coming and then we go with either a food truck or we go and grill hot dogs and hamburgers in a 
park or something like that right around the neighborhood. And then we and we do essentially a barbecue for uh, hours. And then we as teams of, you know, uh, wastewater treatment plant staff or water work staff or uh, homelessness experts or code enforcement officers or police officers or firefighters or admin. And then usually walking arm in arm with some neighborhood organization, whether that's a school, um, whether the leadership team from a school, whether that's a church, you name it. And we walk the streets and knock doors and we ask people a couple questions. We say, um, what can we do for you? Um, what do you like that's happening that you don't want us to mess up? Uh, what do you not like that you need us to fix? And we just have conversations on people's doorsteps. Some of the things are simple enough as, hey, I don't have a recycling bin. Where do I get one? Um, hey, my smoke detectors are out. Um, uh, some of them are more challenging. Um, hey, I think they're selling drugs out of that house. Um, you know, hey, why don't the police patrol my street anymore? Uh, hey, uh, we've got a homeless guy living in the woods by the park. Can we do anything about mm -hmm. that? You know, some of them are, are challenging and complicated. Um, but it gives you an opportunity to have that dialogue on somebody's doorstep, yeah. um, which I, I think is, is important. And it's not, um, you know, it, it is not the only, and neither can social media be our only, and neither can press releases or working through the media be our only. We have to create product and put it out there in new ways that, um, that aren't happening or weren't happening uh, 5, 10, 20 years ago. Well, and talk about, so you've got your coffees, you've got your, your you know, walking through the neighborhoods, going to people's doors. Um, I love the question of what can we do for you? Uh, another guest I had on the podcast, we, uh, he works for World Lacrosse, and he's director of sport development. He literally travels the world uh, introducing people to the game of lacrosse. And, wow. and, and he said the first question he asked everybody is, what can we do for you? It's not, let's come in here and show you our list of resources, and here's what we have to offer. And here's, it's like, no, people... People are not usually in a space of looking for more stuff. They have a problem that they need a solution to. And that's going to require a use of one of your resources, yeah. but you're getting at that. So I love that question of what can we do for you. The last um, arm of this that I notice most obvious that I think you guys do a great job of, you specifically, uh, and social media, engage. It is not just, here's a post, here's an idea. Um, if you get someone commenting or questioning or tagging you, you don't just respond once and then let it go. Uh, you, you engage with that individual to either hear them out, answer their question, or even just stand up for yourself for your side of the argument. Yeah. Um, what is your, what is your approach to social media belief when it comes to those kind of interactions? There are a couple of things that I believe. Um, one that if you, if someone says something that's not true, um, and it is contradictable by the facts, um, and, um, they assert something and you don't respond, it cements itself. It, it hardens over time and it becomes truth because nobody's contradicted it. And people do see it. So if you think, oh, gosh, I hope just nobody saw that crazy comment, um, I guarantee you people saw it. And I guarantee you that if it's the last word, and I'm talking about getting in like arguments and tit for tat or anything like that, um, but if it's the last word and there isn't a reasonable response, um, I do believe that it changes minds in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's our responsibility to jump in and say, hey, now, wait a minute, that's not true. Here's the truth. Yeah, it's and not I can provide I think Obviously, the most the, there's a recent example of just you've got a lot of road construction. That's mm -hmm. the joke I made as soon as I came in. And so obviously, construction is leading to some improvement 
and it's going to totally. add to delays and you name it. And Naturally. so uh, it was even just kind of correcting. There was an individual who was upset with with a delay and you weren't denying their delay. You weren't saying right. uh, uh, nobody cares about your commute. You were you were you were correcting the here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And, and, and sorry it's, for your delay. And yeah. it's ha- it's happening <laughs> right now. I mean, there's there's a, a thread on Nextdoor, uh, which is a, a social media website based on geography. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this uh, through this this website, um, uh, people are complaining about um, you know, the, and the very same people are acknowledging that this will be better and it will improve in time. Mm-hmm. But they're frustrated with the construction, and. That kind of short-sightedness is to be expected, I think, um, that people are going through something that's frustrating. Um, so it's not enough just to say, yeah, but that's construction, folks. It's going to be better. Uh, I think we also have to listen to them because they usually have specific recommendations, some of which are achievable, some of which are not. Um, but you know, usually there's something that you can offer. Like um, you know, if the signs were up here and here, you know, I would have known and just listen to people mm-hmm. just uh, listening to people that have reasonable um recommendations and are in the conversation to to achieve something better you got to give them credit and listen to them yeah. and you also have to be able to discern them from the people that are just there to poke you yep you got to be able to identify and know which is which and i do pride myself on rarely making a mistake i was going to say how do you how do you tell that is it a <laughs> feeling know. it's it a, a feeling yeah. it's gut right yeah. i rarely make a mistake and it and if somebody's just there to try to get a rise out of you you just got to be able to identify it and either avoid it or uh, yeah and and sometimes it does mean ignoring those people mm-hmm. um sometimes um and knowing knowing who they are knowing your audience knowing what they yeah. are and also knowing that other people are watching so it's a process that that is uh you know um it's a battle that has an audience yeah right? i've so. i i i watch i enjoy the the you and len foxwell are two people that i follow well, Len's and very good he's great <laughs> uh, but it comes down to i'm not inflating your ego i think if you're smart enough if you know if you i should put it this way if you know what you're talking about then then it's then of course you can defend yourself or defend your policy or defend your stance on it in in a public setting that is social media in a way that is respectable and it's not being defensive it's having the conversation that's what i just that's what i pick up from len you you get the the sense that he knows what he's talking about well and not, neither of us would go into those conversations unequipped with fact no exactly you're coming at it with fact and so what, that's what i i, I think is is um it's interesting to watch because, you know, when you talk about this, this whole podcast is about connection and connecting with people. You made the comment earlier, the more you travel, the more you realize how much common ground we have, the more you realize. And even if we don't have common ground, we have a, a similarity of belief in, in why we do what we do. Yeah. And so social media is I, maybe it's not the next frontier. I, I, I'm, I'm on a campaign to make sure face-to-face conversation never goes away. <laughs> and it's a part of the conversation. Yeah. So if you're ignoring social media, if you're saying, I don't have time to engage in that, it's no different than saying, I don't have time to sit down for coffee. I'm so Because glad it's where people that. are at. I'm so glad you said that. And it is where people are at. And if you don't recognize, and I didn't early on, um, I remember people sending me Instagram messages and my reaction was, I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually realized, based on their reaction, which was like, how how are you ignoring this message? I'm sure it's gotten through. You know, people were were shocked. Um, and 
and then I realized, oh my gosh, they found me. Mm-hmm. They found me. That's all that matters. Like they reached out to me. They got their message through to me. If someone knocked on your door, you would never look I wouldn't at them and ignore say, them. I don't have time for that. That's this. right. You'd be amazed and, and fascinated and, and, and maybe honored that they were that engaged of an yes. individual that they knocked on your door. And, just because, and that's what they're doing via Instagram. I, absolutely. An Instagram message to me holds the same importance as a phone call. Uh, now, uh, because you know that person has taken the time to reach out to me. They have a question for me. They have something they need me to see or hear. And so I'm going to respond. If you don't to want it. them to knock on that door, don't make don't the make door it available. available. Don't Cl- close down your Facebook close account. down your Instagram yeah. account. Close yeah. down your Facebook account, which is an option. I, I think for people to do. I do think in the world, not in my position. I was going to say in the future <laughs> of public service, though, uh, it's not an option. It's not. It's not because you're you're looking to connect. Now I don't always get to people in the speed they want, depending on the. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, that was my actual. Yeah, do you it's have from a logistical perspective? You know, I think if, if someone's listening to this, saying um, whether you're a leader in any capacity, um, how much how, do you? How much time do you spend on the social media interaction? Are you as intentional about it? You know, you set up these meetings for coffee. You do these walkarounds. Are you as intentional with checking your social media to make sure you're engaging with people? Um, so, so here's how I handle it. I, uh, because I, I'm an administrator on probably 15 pages um, on Facebook. I have two Facebook accounts. I have, or I have a Facebook account and a page, uh, but administrator on 15 pages, um, Twitter, Instagram, um, and email. Um, and then, you, you know, you'd be surprised by the number of letters and pieces of paper that you still get. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, f- phone calls and texts. I, I am letter letters are what's what's old is new again. That, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. People are writing letters. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And 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 oh, by the way, I've recently gotten letters uh, with a a true wax uh, seal on That's it. That's cool. Yeah, from from my friend Tyler Patton uh, at Maryland Broadband. He is. Um, He's bringing something really beautiful back. So, yeah. so more people should do that. Like real wax, you know, real press. Right, Ryan and cool. I, my business partner, we do a lot of mail marketing. So I'm gonna get this idea back to him. Let's excellent, start wax excellent. sealing our, yeah. our mail. I've, I've got, I've got a, <laughs> I think a Christmas card with an envelope with TCP yeah. stamped on it. That's cool. Initials. So, um, you know, what I am very, very, very religious about is ensuring that um, I know my, shall we say, backlog. Um, I have a, this is going to sound sort of uh, a little OCD, but I, I have um, uh, a chart that shows how many emails, how many voicemails, how many texts, how many pieces of paper, how many business cards that I need to follow up with, how many um, uh, Facebook messages, et cetera. I have a chart that shows that at any given time. And it helps me just in terms of my awareness. Is that like a, an, is that an app? Is that Excel? No, it's, 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 a, a little, it's an Excel, Excel spreadsheet. It's a little chart yeah. for me that I always are you one of those people always really have up on my computer. Yeah, okay. uh, so yeah. so I just look at it, and it may does it know, populate from? No, no, oh, no, no, no. You, this you, is manual. Yeah, this is okay. manual. It is a it is either a giant waste of time or or, or <laughs> just a, or just like my own little soothing. If it works know. for you, it look, works. look. Yeah. Some people, it's bubble baths and yeah. a glass of for wine you, for me it's, it's literally counting out how many emails i have to respond yeah. to yeah. but it but it helps because i know like okay i'm i'm in the 700 range i'm in the 400 like i know where i'm at and yeah. and i'm never not going to respond to everything that needs a response that's mm-hmm. never going to happen i will respond to all of them i will take care of every one of those 
you know, those tasks, you know, and whether it's at a rate of 25 a day or 100 a day. And, and yes, there will be more that follow. But um, but I, I like to know uh, because it helps me understand sort of the spectrum of of who is odor response and where. Yeah, it just really, really helps keep me organized. Well, why I ask is because, you know, um, and I'm sure I'm going to start to to be one of those podcast hosts that makes the same point over and over again. But that's the nature <laughs> of the guests I'm interviewing. Of you know, the busiest people I know are the ones that respond. Uh, when I'm working with Division One college coaches who are busier than anybody, um, they text back right away. Uh, uh, professional athletes and coaches that I'm engaging with or, or I'm having on the podcast, they wow. they email back and respond right away. Uh, you texted back almost right away uh and and so anytime i someone says to me and that's challenged me to say i don't care how busy i get i i you must respond that is part of the the if people are engaging with you and reaching out to you you owe them that response and so i just i continually find it a very powerful reminder to anybody it's not that you have no excuses because these other people respond it's that don't let uh, success. Don't let a, a position of leadership. Don't let a a title give you That's an excuse for yes. for being too busy to respond to people. Now, now one thing that I will say ha- I've I've let go of is any guilt associated with how long it takes me to to sure. respond to other people's yeah. time. Like your time is your time, um, but but I do think you owe it to people to be communicative yeah. and to respond. And, yeah. and so, you know, I make sure I always get back to people eventually. It's awesome. I want to respect your time with this. I do have one yeah. last question. Um, the last question is, is, uh, and it doesn't have to be a phenomenal story because we've talked quite a bit about connection and specifically cups of coffee, but I love to ask, um, on this kind of 50 cups of coffee idea, it, do you have a story that you look at and say that would not have happened if I didn't sit down and connect with some, I'm sure you have a thousand, especially after this interview, but is there one that stands out to you that says, whether it's for your life, whether it's for the community, uh, personal, professional, doesn't matter, but this interaction, this opportunity, this project would not have happened if it wasn't for connecting with people. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if I were to rewind to 2004, um, in 2004, I was the president of the American Institute of Architecture students, uh, which meant I sat on the board of the American Institute of Architects as the national student director, um, which is a separate organization. The AIA is the professional organization. It birthed the AIAS, but mm-hmm. they're separate organizations. They uh, they do share a building um, in D.C., but uh, separate nonprofits. So um I was on this board. We travel periodically. And that fall, I think it was October 2004, we were in Banff, um, you know, Alberta. Uh, so, you know, like the pristine crystal, like bl- blue lakes of, you know, uh, glacier water mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, these giant, you know, Canadian Rocky Mountains. And you're in this great resort and you're 22 years old and you don't belong there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, going to um, uh, dinner one of the nights that night, I I went and had a drink with the public director on the board. The public director is a position uh, that still exists today, um, and it's a person who's not an architect who sits on the board of the American Institute of Architects and provides that perspective of um, a, you know a professional from outside. In the past, it's been um, people like uh, the director of the CDC. Uh, who could talk about the relationship between the built environment and uh, chronic diseases and mm-hmm. um, and human health? Um, it's been um, business leaders. It's been all sorts of interesting people. Governor William Donald Schaefer from Maryland. But um, 
at the time, it was a guy named Jeremy Harris, who was the mayor of Honolulu. And I looked at him as like, you know, seven feet tall and just this like giant. And, um, you know, he, he later ran for governor. He wasn't successful, but he ran for governor of Hawaii. Um, you know, interesting guy, very smart guy, um, big leader on climate issues um, for Hawaii and Honolulu and really the entire Pacific region. Um, spends a lot of time, has spent a lot of time in China, et cetera, um, talking about climate issues. So we went. We went before dinner and had a drink that night and sat down and talked. He wasn't coffee, but it was you know, a glass of wine. That counts. And, you know, we're, we're sitting and talking. And, you know, this guy who I looked up to, you know, I, I shared with him what was the, at the time this, like, deep inner secret, you know, that one day I wanted to be an elected official. One day I wanted to serve, a, you know, my state or my country or my community. And uh, his advice to me was pretty simple, but – I listened to it and it changed my life. He said, go home. You got to go back home. You can't do this anywhere else. Hmm. Go home. And I went back to Salisbury. Yeah. I listened to him and he was right. And it also resonated with me right away in that, well, that's my community. That's where I care about. That's where I want to change. That's where I sat in the duck blind and envisioned, you know, a future that now granted my vision changed, but I envisioned a future for my region, for my shore, for my, my city. And that's where it began. Um, but I got, I had to go back there. I couldn't do it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, when it came to writing my dissertation at Oxford, it, it had to be about Salisbury. When it came to, you know, where I was going to work after that, it had to be about my community. It had to be about the Eastern Shore. So that moment was pretty transformative. Mm -hmm. um, I always, I've always looked up to him. I've got a copy of his book about uh, uh, the Renaissance of. It's called the Renaissance of Honolulu. Signed uh, uh, on my bookshelf at home. Um, you know, Jeremy Harris, the mayor of Honolulu, had a big impact on my life. And that particular moment when he said that to me had a, an enormous impact. That's all. that. That is that is. Um at least right now, and I think it will be for a while, one of my favorite stories in, in public service because I'm a believer. I was a political science major at Salisbury, and so I'm a believer in the in government and the political process and what you're doing here in Salisbury. And to ask some, to say to someone, someday I want to be in public service, what's your advice to me? And for their advice to simply be go home, that is the essence of what this is all about, is serving your community, ser making where, wherever you decide to call home, making that place better because you decided to be there yeah. is a powerful, just powerful why. It's a powerful reason to do what you do. So, so true. Thank you. Bobby, thank, thank you. you. This is awesome. This is fun. Uh, anything you want to say before we sign off? Not at all. It's awesome. just great to see this you, and I, I'm glad uh, I got to participate in this. Yeah. Great, great podcast. Great no, idea, too. Appreciate it. Thanks for, again, our relationship started over a cup of coffee. Uh, uh, you know, My involvement with TEDx here started over a cup of coffee, and I know that, that countless other initiatives and projects and things you got going on happened simply because your office, you and your office are accessible, and not just accessible, but responsible and you get stuff done as a result of it. So thanks for taking time to do this. And worth mentioning to your listeners that I was enjoying a cup of coffee this entire time we've been talking. I had He was. <laughs> I had water. <laughs> I'll grab coffee when we get off. Perfect. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. This is a journey that started with a TEDx talk back in 2016, and I am excited to share my 50 cups of coffee with you in 2020. If you are interested in hearing the entire unedited version of my cup of coffee with Jake Day, please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. 
If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you are listening. We will launch a new interview every Monday. Please give us a rating and leave a review if you are so inclined. It means more to us than you know. And connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Bobby Audley. This podcast is a production of the Pinot Training Group. To learn more about the work we do with teams and organizations, please check us out at PinotTrainingGroup.com.